We are reading together in the Word of God, uh, reading from the first half of our Bibles uh, in Psalm 36. And this is the part of the Scriptures that looks forward uh, to the Christ who would come. And so everything in the Old Testament points uh, to him. Uh, we're reading now Psalm 36, page uh, 563, if you're using the Bible supplied by the church. You will see from the title that this is a psalm of David. David, who's described here as the servant of the Lord. And that's the greatest honour that can be given to any person, then or now, to be seen by God as his servant. And so here's what David writes then as the servant of the Lord, the servant of Christ. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Your love or your grace, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How precious is your unfailing love or grace. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your grace to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. And then we turn to Galatians chapter 5, the second part of our Bibles, the part that declares not the Jesus who is to come um, to save but has come and who is coming again uh, to judge. We're now on page 1172, Galatians chapter 5. And here uh, Paul in a fuller way, uh, even than David in the Old Testament, explains the difference between the wicked life, in other words, the life of the unsaved, and 
the regenerate life or the life of the saved man or woman. He describes one in terms of the lusts of the sinful nature and the other in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. So here's the great change that God works by his grace uh, to make uh, someone who is a sinner, who has been a sinner, uh, to make them his servant and his saint. Galatians 5 verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, that's by the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. <coughs> Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live in this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things... There is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Amen. This evening we are turning to Psalm 36. Uh, psalm 36. Uh, and we want to look uh, at this psalm in its entirety. But we want to do so uh, particularly uh, through uh, the words of verse 7. Uh, which I'm uh, giving a slightly different translation for. Uh, in the NIV it is, how priceless is your unfailing love. Uh, and uh, I want us to think about it from the angle of how priceless or how precious is your grace. That is the literal translation. It's this great word in the Old Testament, the, word, the Hebrew word chesed, which means grace which means loving kindness, it means mercy, it means uh, faithfulness. And so our theme this evening is, how precious is your grace? Let's say a word or two, first of all, about the background uh, to this psalm. As I mentioned when we were reading it, it is written by David. 
the servant of the Lord. The psalm uh, really falls into three parts. Verses 1 to 4, David describes the unsaved person in their worst um, uh, state, as it were, or allowed allowing sin to have free course uh, and unrestrained course. And then verses 5 to 11, uh, here is David's own testimony, a testimony to the grace of God in his life that actually has preserved him from being what he has said in verses 1 to 4. And then at the end of the psalm, uh, in verse uh, 10, 11, 12, at verse, he is recognizing again uh, his enemies who are around him and praying for ongoing grace. As David writes this psalm, uh, he may well have a particular individual in mind in verses 1 to 4. Uh, he may be thinking of Saul. Remember, Saul was the king before David. And Saul was the people's choice as king. And Saul was not uh, the servant of God. And when Saul realized that the kingdom was going to be taken away from him by God and going to be given over to David, the shepherd boy, Saul was filled with hatred towards David and pursued all kind of wickedness against David in an attempt to destroy him. And so you could read verses 1 to 4 and it's a description in many respects of Saul, the first king of Israel. Or Saul may be thinking here of his own son. For he had a son called Absalom. And Absalom, who should have known much, much better, uh, was no different ultimately to Saul. And you remember we read in the scriptures that when David was king, this son of his rose up in rebellion against him and stole the hearts of the people away from David. He spoke evil about David. And he said, if you go to David, you will not get justice. You'll not get your case heard. Uh, And uh, he spoke wickedly about his father. And eventually Absalom uh, put together a rebellion. And David was forced to leave Jerusalem for a period as king. And so you could read verses 1 to 4 and you could find a description uh, of Absalom. And I believe that while uh, David may have a particular individual in mind, Saul or Absalom or someone else, who has uh, attacked him as God's servant, he is at the same time, David putting together a portrait, not just of one individual, but of the human race, apart from grace. And so we want to see this evening in the first place that um, 
The grace of God is precious. Why? Because it is saving grace. And look at what the grace of God saves a person from. Here in verses 1 to 4, a man and woman uh, in sin is described at their worst. Uh, This is not everyone in practice. And you may read this tonight and you may say, well, I am not um, as bad as that. The people around me, my neighbours and our community is not as bad as that. Thank God that is the case. But this is sinful human nature in principle. If it is not sinful human nature uh, in actual practice or to the fullest degree. And there are people in our world tonight where this description does fit them precisely. But it describes all of us to one degree or another. Derek Kidner makes the comment, All people as fallen have these characteristics latent or developed. That word latent means inside us. They're in seed form. They're, as it were, lying dormant. And all it takes is the right circumstances and these things would manifest in the life of any individual who is living life apart from the grace of God. And so, what is man apart from grace? Well, look at it. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No thought of God. No reverence of God. Uh, the, the person who's not saved does not get up every day and immediately they awake in the morning, thank God for that day. They don't immediately awake in the morning and pray to God for that day. They don't immediately or early on in the day open their Bibles to hear the word of God for their lives that day. When it comes to this day in the week, what we call the Sabbath uh, or the Lord's Day, from the perspective of Scripture, what our world calls Sunday, they will not be in the place of worship. Why? Because there is no fear of God. There's no overarching um, awareness of God and reverence for God in their lives. And that knowledge of God that is in man and woman by nature, they suppress like a jack-in-the-box whenever it springs up. Perhaps some time of difficulty. Or perhaps in the middle of the night when they waken up and they say, what is life all about? And there's a thought of God comes into their minds and immediately they slam the lid down like the child playing with the the jack-in-the-box. And so that's where it all begins. And it begins with what's the first mark of the wicked person? It's not what they do to other people. It's not that they're a thief 
It's not that they're an adulterer. It's not that they're a child molester. It is that they are not a God-fearer. Not a God-fearer. And if anyone who is this here tonight lives life each day as if God were not, if we live life to ourselves, then notice what the Scripture says. That's the sinfulness of the wicked. Now what happens where there is no thought of God in a person's life? Well, our government would tell us and has been telling us for years that you can have a civilized society and you can have uh, people living and acting decently without the knowledge of God, without the fear of God, without the worship of God, without the service of God. And what utter nonsense that is. Because look at what happens when man loses a sense of deity of God. Verse 2. In his own eyes he flatters himself. In his own eyes he deifies himself. Is the way Matthew Henry puts it. When we lose a sense of deity of God. Then we begin to deify ourselves. We begin to act and speak and think and live as if we are God. And so what man wants, what man desires, what man decides, is what prevails. And isn't that what we see in our society today? Man flattering himself to the point that doesn't detect and when he does detect his sin and is made aware of his sin, he doesn't hear his sin. Think of how those in public life, when they've been found uh, to have done wrong, and they try to explain it away. They don't face up to it. And they flatter themselves. But then look at how not only there's a wrong view of God and there's a wrong view of self. There's a wrong attitude and approach to others. Look at the speech uh, of uh, the man or woman who has no fear of God and who allows this to, as it were, express itself and to be the directing principle of their lives, the guiding principle of their lives. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He cease to be wise and to do good speech there's a lack of truth and there's a promotion of wickedness look at verse 4 even on his bed here is a human sinful nature at its worst not just doing evil during the day but at night in other words the whole life is given over to evil thankfully we don't see that that often but it does happen. And if we took time tonight, we could think of examples where that has happened. Think of the great, think of the dictators of the past century. Think of Hitler and those uh, with him and the way in which they deified themselves, the way in which they spoke evil, the way in which they plotted evil uh, and not, did not reject what is wrong. And 
every so often God allows us glimpses of sinful human nature in its worst manifestation to let us see what we're like in sin and what we need to be saved from. And that's where David goes then. He speaks about your love, O Lord. Reaches your grace, verse 5. Literally it is. It's this same word as I've mentioned in verse 7. And it's the same word again in verse 10. Continue your love. Continue your grace. Your grace, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. What a contrast between sinful human nature and God marred by grace and faithfulness and righteousness and justice. And this love uh, is um, immense Uh, and this faithfulness is vast and this righteousness is as secure as the mountains and this justice uh, is uh, as um, uh, as unfathomable or can't be um, can't be it goes it's as undiscoverable as the depths of the sea so great is the character of god because god is like this then what does he do o lord you preserve both man and beast you preserve both, both man and beast there's god's common grace that's why our world is not as bad as the picture described in verses 1 to 4 that's why you um, before you became a Christian were not as bad as the picture in verses 1 to 4 that's why if you're not a Christian tonight you're not as bad as the picture in verses 1 to 4 because of God's common grace there's a grace that by which he restrains And holds back evil. And if that were not so, this world would be an unbearable place to live. We would actually have hell on earth. But you see, that common grace falls short of what we need. Because it doesn't deal with the problem. It simply restrains. It simply holds back. It doesn't change. And that's why in verse 7 the psalmist now goes on to speak of um, how priceless or how precious is your grace. He's speaking now of that grace that saves. That grace that enters into the heart and changes a person from the inside out. That grace that forgives our sin. That grace that makes new. That grace that, as we read there in Galatians chapter 5, causes us to die to these things, uh, these sinful things, immorality and impurity and jealousy and fits of rage and envy. But it just doesn't cause us to die to these sinful things. It produces beautiful things. The fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness 
and faithfulness. How precious is your grace, O God. The grace of God in Jesus Christ. First of all, renews us. And saves us. Because he died for his people. So that we're saved through faith. And then we are changed. Saved and then changed. How precious is your grace. Can you say that tonight? Can you say tonight as a believer? If it were not for the grace of God. I potentially would be. What is described in verses 1 to 4. I could be that. And I would be that. If it were not for the grace of God. And if you're not a believer tonight. We say to you. Here is what sin can do. If you allow it to go. uh, Unaddressed in your life. By grace. It will uh, take over. And control and ruin your life and the lives of those around you. And only saving grace in Christ can break the chains of the sins that enslave you and that dominate your life, whatever they are. Let's see then, secondly, this grace is precious. Because it is satisfying. It is satisfying. God is the giver. Of every good. Thing. That you and I have. To enjoy. Your work. That is. God's gift. To be happily married. Is God's gift. To be well provided for. So that you don't hunger. You're not cold. And you've got a home. All of those things. Are God's gift. To have good health. Is God's gift. To have children. And grandchildren. Is God's gift. Uh, To have friends. Uh, And uh, is God's gift. To play a sport. To enjoy a leisure. Is God's gift. But here's the point. None of those gifts. Satisfy. None of them. Satisfy. No matter how good. Or wonderful. Your husband or your wife is. There will still be something more that you look for and need in life. No matter how fulfilling your work is and how much it uh, utilizes your gifts and your talents. And no matter how much you achieve in the place of work. You will still be yearning for something more. No matter what delight and joy we get from our children and our grandchildren. uh, We will still be lacking something. We will be left with a sense of emptiness. 
And that's especially the case when work and money and family and friends and hobbies and leisures can no longer be enjoyed by us. When retirement comes, when children leave home, when health deteriorates, if we have only been looking for satisfaction in those things, we will feel that we've been drinking from broken cisterns, broken wells. So is there anything that outstrips and outlasts those good gifts? And they are good gifts of God. They are given to us to enjoy, but they're not to be our chief desire or our chief enjoyment and the answer is yes there is something greater and there is something that is more satisfying and it is God's grace look at verses 8 and 9 here's what this David himself here's what those who like David who believe uh, in Christ and who know God's saving grace in him, here's what marks them. Verse 8. They feast in the abundance of your house. You drink, you give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we shall see light. Do you see how all their satisfaction it's not in themselves. It's not in what they have. It's not in what they do. It's not in what they are. It is in you, the psalmist says. And he's addressing the Lord. O oh Lord. Verse, go back to verse 6. How precious, or how precious is your grace. And so... Those who find refuge in the shadow of your wings, they feast in the abundance of your house. Let's ask ourselves this evening, where is it that I look for satisfaction in life? What is it or who is it that you will look to Tomorrow morning when you wake up for satisfaction. Will it be, it's Monday. I'm back to work. And I'll see my friends. Is it Wednesday night or Thursday night when you're going to meet up with someone? Is it some activity that you're going to do? If it is... You're looking for satisfaction in the wrong place. Tonight, the only one who can satisfy you is God. God in this grace that he shows to sinners in Christ. God coming into your life and becoming the center of your uh, life, the focus of your life, becoming the desire of your heart and the delight of your heart and giving light to your life 
so that you're no longer living to yourself and, and exalting yourself. So that you're no longer bringing injury to other people, but you're now exalting him and looking to him. And you're bringing blessing to other people. This grace is so precious because yes, it is saving from our sin, but it's also satisfying for our hearts and our desires. But then let's notice thirdly and finally this evening, how precious is your grace, O God. It is sustaining. It is sustaining. David has looked in verses 1 to 4 at some individual, it's perhaps Saul or Absalom, someone else. And then it broadens out to be human beings, um, across the world in their sinful nature. And then verses 5 through to 9, he has looked at God's grace that has preserved him from being that kind of person described in verses 1 to 4. He looks at God's grace that is, has satisfied him and saved him from his sin. But now, he comes back in verses 10 to 11 to his circumstances. You see, this person that's embodied and described in verses 1 to 4, Saul, Absalom, wicked people, they don't go away. He's having to live with the reality of the Saul in his life. With the reality of the Absalom. With the reality of the wicked around him. Look at what he says in verse 11. He describes and he speaks of the foot of the proud. And you see there's someone who, is, who has got their foot and they're ready to, to crush David. Under their feet. He speaks in verse 11 of the hand of the wicked. And he pictures the hand of a Saul or an Absalom. And what have they got? They've got a sword in it. And they want to strike David through. They want to destroy his life. And what does David do when he sees that? Does he go on a vendetta against them? No, he first of all, he looks or the... The only thing he does here is he looks to God and his grace. Look at verse 10. Continue your grace to those who know you. Continue your grace to me, Lord. Continue your grace to those in my family who know me, who know you. Continue your grace to those in our land who know you. Those in my kingdom, uh, David says, who know you. Your, your righteousness to the upright in heart. And then he prays that the foot of the proud would not come against him. He prays that the proud will not be able to crush him. He prays that the wicked will not be able to slay him. In other words, he's saying, Lord God, your grace not only saves from my sin, 
It not only satisfies my deepest need, it sustains me in the circumstances and the challenges of life. It sustains me when I am face to face with wickedness. When I'm face to face with difficulty. Now tonight, you may not have the foot of the proud against you. Many of us do not have the hand of the wicked against us. Where our lives are in physical danger. But all of us here this evening who are believers... There are circumstances in our lives. There are challenges at work. There are issues in our families. There are things in our personal well-being. And they are the things that could crush us. And they are the things that could slay us. But do you see what we're to do? We're to pray, Lord, Continue your grace. Continue your grace to those who know you. To me in my circumstances. To me in my responsibilities. To me in my weaknesses. To me in my family. To me in my workplace. To me in my community. And so David here uh, rejoices in the preciousness of God's grace. Because it's grace that saves. It's grace that satisfies. It is grace that sustains. And ultimately it's grace that will destroy the wicked. That's where he ends up in verse 12. See how the evildoers my fallen. Saul died in the purpose of God. And David came to the throne. Absalom was caught on the oak tree by his head of beautiful hair. The evildoer lying fallen thrown down not able to rise and that's both an encouragement and a challenge it's an encouragement to you who believe those who do evil against the Lord's people and the circumstances of life that are challenging will not triumph over us Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 8, who is able to separate us from the love of Christ? And he talks about individuals and he talks about circumstances. And he says, nothing in this world is able to triumph over the believer. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and Christ. But there's also a challenge here this evening. If you're not a Christian, if you cannot say tonight, Lord, how precious is your grace. It has saved me. 
It satisfies me. It sustains me. If you cannot say that, and if you do not come to the point of saying that, how precious, Lord, is your grace that Christ died for my sins. Then realize verse 12 is a description of what will happen to you. The evildoer lies fallen. Thrown down, not able to rise. The wicked will not prevail against God. We cannot fight against God and win. The sinner will always lose unless he is saved by this precious grace. And so our call to you this evening, if you're not yet experiencing this precious grace, is verse 7. Both high and low find refuge in the shadow of his wings. Think of God in Christ in salvation like a huge bird the wings are spread out. And like a mother hen, or like a hen when there's danger, the hen calls and plucks frantically that the chicks will come. So, unbeliever tonight, God is calling you and saying, Come, come under the protection of my wings. How precious is your Grace, O oh God, in Christ. Amen.